Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Proverbs chapter 13 and reading for our text, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs 13 and verse 4. In this chapter, we have many contrasts. In fact, only verses 14 and 22 are verses that don't have a contrast. And all the contrasts except 1 verse 7 are joined together with the word but, including the word of our text. It has pleased Almighty God to often use contrast in the word of God. So if we can't see something from one side, then we shall see it from another. We think of the difference between putting a speck of coal dust on a black sheet of paper and putting it on a white sheet of paper. It can be seen so much clearer on the white because of the contrast. And we have that right through the Word of God. If we think of uh, Abel, Cain, two brothers, and then immediately we get a contrast how one is worshipping God and how the other is one according to the pattern that God had showed in killing the animals, in clothing Adam, in the shedding of blood, typifying the sacrifice of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But Cain, he took of that which his own hand had gathered from the earth that was under the curse. And so we have immediately a contrast there, one that had faith and one that did not have faith. Then we see a very vivid contrast with the flood and Noah's ark. All the world destroyed with water except those in that ark. What a stark contrast. How few that were saved. How safe they were in the ark. How under destruction outside of it. A vivid illustration of what it is to be in Christ, what it is to be safe in the ark of our Lord Jesus Christ, shut in by God into Christ, and not destroyed with the world and with the wicked. How vital that we take notice of contrasts like this, repeated again with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the pulling of Lot out of that destruction and saving him. You have contrast in the lives of the people of God. and We may say everyone in some way, they are not now what they once were. Grace has made a difference. And what a difference we see in the Apostle Paul before and after his conversion on the Damascus Road. A real Contrast, a real difference, a real change. And so with our Lord's teaching, 
Very often in teaching in parables, he didn't just use one illustration, but used two in each parable. We think of the parable of the two that went up to the temple to pray, the publican and the Pharisee. One prayer is contrasted with the other prayer, one pleading for mercy, the other not asking for anything, but simply telling all the good that he saw he had done and how that he is better than the other. And we have these contrasts right through the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Again, what a contrast, a double one there. In this life, there was the rich man in all his riches. There was Lazarus with his uh, sores lying at his door, a beggar. And then we see a glimpse within the veil, and not because Lazarus was a poor man, no, but because he knew the grace of God, the blessing of God in his soul, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was found in heaven, in Abraham's bosom, in the covenant. But the rich man opening his eyes in hell and in torments. These things are the way that God teaches in his word. They set forth in a stark way what the truth is. And sometimes with the people of God, if they cannot see themselves amongst the people of God, then the Lord, as it were, says to them, Well, dear soul, if you cannot see yourself amongst the people of God, it may be there are those gathered this evening, and one that feels like that, you cannot see yourselves amongst the people of God. Well, the Lord said there is only two peoples. There are only those that are his and those that are not. There's only heaven and there's only hell. And so he gives a glimpse of what those are that are not the people of God. And maybe that in getting a picture of that, you see more clearly that you are not numbered amongst them, but numbered amongst the people of God. You know, dear Ruth said to Boaz, he wondered why he had taken knowledge of her, seeing that she was a stranger and that she was not like one of his handmaidens. She felt to be different. Many of the Lord's dear children feel to be different than their brethren. They know their own hearts. They know their sin. They know what they are in the sight of God. They cannot see into others' hearts, but they do know their own. And that is what humbles them and makes them low and put their mouth in the dust and to esteem their brethren above themselves. So we have in this chapter the contrast, and our text is one of them. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. What is the word diligent? What does it mean? If you look up a dictionary, then it will tell you having or showing care and conscientiousness in one's work or duties, careful and hard-working or deeply immersed in your work. And one of the aspects of it is not distracted, not turned away from our work. I want to look this evening really under two headings, though we divide the second into some more points, but the two main headings. Firstly, there is 
a natural illustration. We never need to pass over those natural illustrations. Sometimes they have a much powerful effect when we look at them first and then apply it spiritually, which is what I want to do in the second place, the Lord helping me, the spiritual application. So first there is a natural application. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. So we have a picture, and when I was meditating on this, I was thinking on it, and you know, some scriptures they speak of going past the field of the sluggard all overgrown with weeds and, and not well kept or anything like that, and you might go many miles to get some contrast like that. But quite a few years ago now, I had an allotment down here in Cranbrook. And so when I was there working on my allotment, I could see another 30 or so, or probably more than that, allotments that other people were tending and looking after. And many of them, they would come down, they would see a nice well-kept allotment, and uh, before they'd got an allotment themselves, and they would think, oh, I'd like that. I'd like to have some vegetables and I'd like to have a nice garden like that. So they apply to the council and they're given allotment. The first thing they do is they come down and they look at the allotment they've been given and it's all uncapped, there's weeds over it, there might be boards on it, all sorts of things on it. And immediately they start to get discouraged. This is not the nice, beautiful allotment that others have got. Why have they been given something like that? Not realising that those that are well kept took a lot of work, diligent work, constant work to bring it up to that standard. And so just in that short or small compass of ground, you could observe these different allotments and the marked difference. Some of them very well kept, others very neglected. Some that only come once a week. Others they'd be coming every day, tending it. And the difference would really reflect the diligence or the care and the work and the energy that was put into it by the allotment holders. And yes, there was the desire. Those that wanted allotment, they desired a nice allotment. They desired vegetables. They desired to have things. They weren't prepared to work for it or to spend the time on it and to be diligent in it. And this is the picture that here, the soul of the sluggard hath desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. The one who diligently sowed his seed, then he got something from it. The one that took care uh, to prevent the badgers getting in or to uh, stop the blight taking all the potatoes and all of the uh, tomatoes. Those that actually took care and observed the seasons, planted in season, those who when it was so hot they didn't just leave it just the same as usual but went down and regularly watered and cared for it and you see the difference. This is the, the illustration that is here in a very 
visible way. You can notice the difference, you can see the difference. The difference is reflected in the fruits that are gathered from it. And when it says the soul of the diligent shall be made fat, you think at the end of the day, the one who has spent all his diligence and care and time and effort on his lotman, there he's got his baskets full, full of potatoes and beans and pumpkins or whatever he's planted and the others, they haven't got much at all. And this is the picture that is set before us that is to be applied in a spiritual way. Now, before we come to that, we might say, well, who does give the increase? However diligent we might be, it is still God that gives the increase. It's still God that makes that plant to grow. It is still him that causes the seed to germinate and those that fear God look for the Lord to do that. But they don't just sit in their armchair or sit at the chairs that sometimes were at the end of the allotments that they came down just for a social time and stood sat there looking at their weedy allotment. It is not them that came with the goods but it wasn't the diligence the one that was diligent, that commanded it. The increase is of the Lord, but without that diligence, because that is ordained by God and appointed by God, they wouldn't have anything. Just trusting as it is in the Lord to work a miracle when the Lord would say, I have appointed a means. You use that means, I will bless that means. I won't bless carelessness. I won't bless uh, a sluggard. I won't bless those that just desire. But that is all. We think of Balaam. He desired the death of the righteous and that his last end might be like his. But he didn't desire to live their life or to live with them. In fact, he died fighting against them. Is one thing to desire. It is a great blessing to desire. Very often the Lord will begin with his people with desires. But those desires must not be the desire of a sluggard. It is the soul of the diligent that shall be made fat. So let us not forget the natural illustration. Let's remember that. Remember also that it is God that giveth the increase. And I want to look now at the spiritual application uh, of this, looking at it in several ways. But first I want to recognise and set before us reminders that the soul of men, by nature we are dead. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And whatever is set before us, if we were to speak to a dead person, we would never expect, and thinking of this again as a natural illustration, we would not expect a dead person to listen to what we are saying. And one that is spiritually dead, they do not hear. They hear outward words, but they do not really hear. I know perhaps I've used this illustration before because 
I feel it is, it is a good one. So if we were planning to go away on holiday or to use a relevant illustration tonight, uh, that we were due tomorrow to go up to uh, Birkenhead to travel right up north. Now, if we were to... So we made all of those plans and someone came in or I came back from Heathfield this afternoon I said there's an inch growing of snow upon the ground uh, is heavily snowing. We said, oh yes, that's all right. Uh, and then you would say, well, do you hear what I'm saying? It, it is heavily snowing. And what you're really meaning is, do you really understand the implications that it may prevent us from travelling in that distance? And there's a linking between what has been said and what is actually being planned and to realise there's an implication to it. And so when we have in the Word, when we are told that the only way of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved, then there is a realisation any outside of Christ are damned, they are cast away, they are lost. If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall perish in your sins. And there's this implication, the same as when I was speaking several years ago to the children at the school, actually the school we just sent the Bibles to again for, for this year, but not able to, to actually speak to them this year. But they, they, I spoke to them, and the young lady says, so what you are saying is, if I do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will go to hell. And I answered, yes. And there was a gasp from the students and the teachers. She, that girl, had understood, at least in a natural way, I hope in a spiritual way, uh, the implication of what I was saying. She grasped it, realised what actually was being said. You think of one of our hymns, Nor are men willing to have the truth told. The sight is too killing for pride to behold. We recently got a newsletter from Mombasa and very striking there. The people that are learning the language and first they come along, many of them, to the services. Then when they start to understand the Bible, when they realise what the message is, there are many of them that are turning back and going away. Some thankfully remain. But it is when the word is really understood, and there's many that will have a Bible, it's nice to have a Bible, but when they start to read it and realise what it is saying, what it is telling them, then they're offended at that. The Lord says in John 17, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. And so it is vital that being dead in trespasses and sins, we actually are quickened into life. The very first act comes from God. It is God that quickens a sinner, not the sinner quickens himself. It is not a sinner exercising saving faith. It is God giving him saving faith. And that faith is that which keeps him and that which justifies him. Justified by faith that God has given in that he trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, not what his own works are. And so if one is quickened, what has been given in that 
new birth is a hearing ear is as what is repeated seven times to the letters to the churches in Asia he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches so when we have a verse like this the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat those who are still dead in trespasses and sins will read over that look at it and not take any instruction from it, won't apply it. it, it won't be any good, we won't really hear it at all. But if the Lord has quickened us, then words like this, the scriptures of truth, will begin to speak to us. The Lord says, my sheep, they hear my voice, and they follow me. You might say, well, this is Proverbs, this is not the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not him speaking. Yes, it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The written and incarnate Word in all things are the same. And that which was written aforetime is written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And this is one of these words of wisdom, words of wisdom directed to the people of God whose ears are open, who desire and who really stand on really this knife edge as to whether they're just going to be one that desires or they're going to be a diligent soul. And this is why this contrast is here. The word of God is to shepherd, encourage and to draw the people of God, and so that it becomes a profitable word to them, a strength unto their souls. So I want to look at several aspects. The first is this, and this really goes back to the hymn that we have sung as our middle hymn. A diligent soul in God's way, not in man's way. I think the best illustration of this is when the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans and in chapter 10. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But then he says this, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And in one way we have this picture here is those that the apostle desires that they should be saved and he sees them and he appears they want to be saved too and they have a diligence, they're not a sluggard, they have a zeal. They're really putting all their energy and all their efforts in being saved, in obtaining favour with God but not according to knowledge, they're wasting their efforts in the wrong way. He says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. In other words, they were seeking through Moses. In verse 5 we read, For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. However diligent we might be, if our aim 
is by our own works and by our own efforts to fulfil the law of God and to keep ourselves from sin with the idea, I shall merit heaven by my efforts. I will make myself pleasing to God. Then that is abomination to the Lord. That is in effect saying to our Lord, Thou hast died in vain. There's no cause for you to die. I can do better. I can fulfil the law. I can make it honourable. I can pay the debt. I can bring myself out from Adam's sin and Adam's condemnation. And though Adam shall die and everyone else shall die, I will not die. A diligent soul is not one that just goes about their diligence without knowledge. And so the, the apostle says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring, down, bring Christ down from heaven. Not heights of experience. Or who shall descend into the depth? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. Not how de depth of experience or how much we feel sin and experience sin. Some make their diligence or their standing that they want more and more deeper knowledge and experience of their sin. Or they want to be like the Apostle Paul in the heights in the third heavens. Remember the Apostle Paul. He had a thorn in the flesh to bring himself down from there. And his verdict was, when the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee, he would rather rejoice in grace. And the Apostle Peter, when he's speaking of the Mount of Transfiguration, he says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto he did well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. That is the word of God. We have not to look for these heights and depths. But what is it, Paul said, what is it that we're looking for? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. It couldn't be put in a more concise compass for a diligent soul, a soul that is giving diligence, as it were, to the word that is preached. The Apostle Paul, he says to the Corinthians, I determine not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his determination, his diligence, his effort, his carefulness, that he never deviated from that. And his eye was on Christ and Christ alone, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There is a right diligence. There is a wrong diligence. There is a wasted energy. You think of a person with an axe cutting down a tree and the axe is blunt, but he keeps on putting more and more effort to it. And the word of God says that wisdom is profitable to direct and the axe must be sharpened and then there shall be something done. There is a right way. You speak to any farmer and it's not just diligence. You can have one very diligent, but if he doesn't break up his clods first, if he doesn't make the ground nice and fine before he puts in the seed, then nothing will come to good. You speak to any cook, and if they don't agree and go along with the recipe, 
And if they take no notice of the quantities and instead of a teaspoon of salt, they say, well, it doesn't matter, we put two cups of salt in and a teaspoon of flour, uh, or if they have the ingredients right and the right balance, but they mix them up in the wrong order, then they're not going to get the end result. It must be in the right way. We're used to it in every way in our lives. Whether a house is being built, whether a road is being made, there's an order in how it is done. And no amount of diligence without knowledge and without the right method will have the desired effect. And it is in the same with the things of God. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. As a minister of the New Testament, we point as our glorious privilege to point sinners, sinners who are under the condemnation of the law, sinners who feel themselves as sinners, sinners who have a hearing ear, sinners who know they are under condemnation, to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Those, those that trust in him, those that are not under the law, but under grace. And the diligence then must be in God's way with an aim and desire for the blessings of God according to his terms, not our terms, that we are to seek the Lord in due order, in the right way, seek him by grace, seek him pleading mercy, seek him humbly, seek him as the one thing needful, seek him as the ark of grace, the only way that we shall escape from the wrath to come. It is to seek the Lord as the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is to seek him who says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, yea, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Those that are penniless, those that have nothing, those that are weak and wounded under the law, it is those that are welcome to Christ. And those that are the ones that Christ came to save. They are made known by their want. You think of the woman that pressed through the crowd, if I may but touch the hem of his garment. And all that crowd she, she presses through. She so desired, she wanted. And those hindrances, they were as nothing before her because of that which she desired from the Lord. But what had gone before, twelve years of fruitless labour, worthless positions, all of only nothing but one touch of his hand, of his garment. And she had what she wanted. She knew that she had been made whole. So, dear friends, may we hear 
May we hear the gospel. May we hear the words of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. May we hear him who is the good shepherd and may we follow after him, desiring to know nothing among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified. May we very, be very, very clear that it is the precious blood of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ that has put away the sin of his people on Calvary. Those that are elect and those that are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, those that he was given by his Father to redeem, he suffered at Calvary lovingly, taking their burden, taking their debt, and paying it to the full extent. Many times in this book of Solomon, uh, Solomon's book, Proverbs, we, we have how the Lord delights in a just balance, uh, right weights, so that we don't pay more than what we should. The Jews, they had some very evil practices. To use the illustration, if you wanted a kilogram of flour and you went to buy it and the merchant weighed it out, he'd have a weight that said a kilogram on it. But actually it didn't weigh a kilogram, it weighed less. And you paid for a kilogram thinking you were getting it, but you were getting less. And then if you were to go and sell uh, something to that same merchant and you wanted to sell him a kilogram of something, he would pull out a weight and put on its scales, but this time it would read a kilogram, but would weigh more than a kilogram. So he would pay you for a kilogram, but he would get more than that. And it would be an unjust way, unjust balances. It wouldn't be fair. And the teaching of the Word of God is what the Lord paid for his people was an exact weight, no more, no less, completely atoning for their sins, completely writing off their debt, completely satisfying the justice of God. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. Then we have the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, that which he lived from the womb uh, to the grave. Perfect life, sinless life, fully obedient, a righteousness, a righteousness that he had that he could give to another. He that hath two coats, let him give to him that hath none. And our Lord had a coat of righteousness that belonged to him as the eternal God. But that which he wrought out on this earth was to give to his people. This is the name wherewith he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. That's the Lord. This is the name wherewith she shall be called, the church of God, the Lord our righteousness. The same, the same surname, the same name. And it is that in which we shall stand before God, not in our works, not in what we have done on this earth, but in what Christ has done for us. The hymn writer takes it up so clearly, in Christ's obedience clothed, and wash me in his blood, so shall I lift my head with joy among 
the sons of God. So the first in diligence is in God's way, on his terms, through Christ and Christ alone. The second point to make is regarding diligence, and we mentioned this briefly before, is not being turned aside. When we think of when the Shunammite's son died and the Shunammite made haste to go to Elisha, Elisha had told her that God would give her a son, though she was childless, and God had given a son, but now he had died of heat stroke. And she comes to the man of God, and Elisha, he sent first Gehazi to lay his rod upon the face of the child. And he gave a specific charge to Gehazi that he was not to turn aside. If any man saluted him, he was not to salute him back. Sometimes we really need that. Sometimes I come down to the chapel here, half a mile from home, and then walk back, and my dear one wonders why it's taken so long. All I came was to do one thing. But then I meet this person, and that person, another person, and yes, it's good to know the townsfolk and to speak with them, but if you've got an urgent errand, one thing to do, then to be sidetracked and use time in a wrong way is not a good thing. And so with Elisha, with his servant, he warned him of that. There's one thing he had to do, and to get to that child and lay the rod on his face. And so with us, if we are a diligent soul, then we will be a soul who is mindful that Satan, the world, that everything is all trying to pull us aside and to turn us aside. Sometimes we can stop and think, well, we've had time for this and for that, and things have come, but I haven't had time to spend with the Lord. I haven't had time in prayer. I found there's no time to attend even sometimes to the means of grace when I could. And many times we might think, well, we come to prayer and the telephone rings or we, we start to read the word of God and then we remember something, maybe something even that we read in the word jogs our memory and we, we put down the word and, and go to do that. And one aspect of that diligence is not to be turned aside. If we're working for an employer, and we had to, in my case, when I was in secular employment as a design engineer, we had a time set to us, an amount of money allocated, the machine had to do what it was designed to do, the end result, and one had to be diligent that we kept within that price, that we got it done on that time. And if we got in one day and instead of doing the design on that machine, we started sidetracking to this or that and doing other things, then though we may have been busy, yet in that which was the great concern that we actually employed to, we were not being diligent at all. And so it is in this respect to be very noticed as to how easy we are turned aside from seeking the Lord. What are the means to be diligent in? Well, we think of prayer, of reading the word, but especially in the means of grace. 
It hath pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. May we be like the Bereans. What a picture of diligence that they were. They heard the Apostle Paul preaching and then they went home, they searched the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. Instead of putting it that the reading comes first, the preaching comes second, the preaching gave them a real edge to their seeking, to their reading of the Word of God. How many of us can we say of that? When was the last time you came from the house of God, you'd heard the Word preached, and maybe the Lord's servant had said something, you said, is that really true? Is that really in the Bible? You took your Bible and you searched and you tried to find it. That's what the Bereans were doing. They were searching the Scriptures daily, whether these things were so. And that's the Old Testament Scriptures. We have the whole counsel of God now. But may we be like them, diligent in searching, based upon what had been heard in the house of God, what had been preached to them and set before them. Instead of the word forgotten, then it is taken up and like the clean animals that chewed the card, they went over again what they had heard and received. And so it is a diligent use of the means, not just saying, well, I've spent the hour and a half, I've been diligent, I've been to every service that has been available to this week. You say, but what have you profited? What have you searched after? What have you prayed over? How has it affected your life? What has it made you stop doing? And what has it made you start doing? And what has it shown you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you didn't see before? How has it drawn you to him? And if we're diligent in that way, our prayers will be like Jabez of old. Oh, that thou hast enlarged my coast, that thou hast blessed me indeed. That which I see not, teach thou me. Keep me from evil. Our prayers, our desires will be echoed as through the scriptures in the Psalms and the Lord's dear people. May all our prayer and praise suggest, says the hymn writer, come and dwell within my breast. Well, there are promises. There's a promise here. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Well, we think of the natural illustration and all of the fruits. And what are the fruits of the gospel? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy and peace. The fruits of pardon, forgiveness, the fruits of the tender fear of God, the fruits of the love of God shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Ghost. You know, these things are set before us in the Word of God as being precious things, things that the Lord has promised to his people. In Hebrews 11, uh, we uh, read this word in, in uh, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
where the Lord gives faith, and that is the gift of our Lord in the new birth, there is a belief that he really is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, that there is that to find. The one that found the pearl of great price sold everything that he might buy that pearl. The one that found treasure in the field sold everything that he might have that field. The effect of it is to know that in Christ there is a treasure. In Christ there is a fullness of grace, a fullness of joy. In him is life. He came to give life, he says, to give there unto them life and that they might have it more abundantly. And this is the promise here, that they shall be made that the blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ in all that his people know, taste of, handle, feast upon. My flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. The provision of the house of God. These things are what the soul, the diligent soul has set before them as we sing in our graces, fruits new and old, laid up in store, where we shall feast and want no more. But we have those fruits and blessings of grace here, satisfied with the goodness of God, the fullness of God, feasting upon his words. Jeremiah, he says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. They were to the joy and rejoicing of my soul a feast of fat things, uh, the wines on the lees were refined. You know, the word to an unregenerate soul is no food at all, but our Lord says that man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And when the Lord opens up his precious word, and we feed upon it is finding a rich field of treasure, a fullness of provision for our soul. What a different Bible that is. What a different pastor it is. The same one, but not how we are finding it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or oh, how he leads his sheep into green pastures. He leads them beside the still waters. And may we be a diligent soul that desires that leading, that seeks those blessings from the Lord, believes they are there to be had. And as we come and use the means of grace privately or in our family worship, in the house of God, we're diligent, we're not careless. No, I've seen people working in a nursery weeding a garden bed, as it were, and they're sitting on a stool and they're leaning down just in front of them, just picking a weed out here and a weed out there, very slowly, just leisurely sitting down. And then I've seen another one, no stool in sight, on their knees, and they're picking out weeds here, there, everywhere, and the ground is getting cleared and the work is getting done. And the difference 
is very marked. One is diligent, one is working with an end in view, one is working, aiming to get the work done, the other is just to have a nice, easy and restful time and not put any effort in at all. And may we pray that the Lord would bless us with that that does really move us and stir us in the things of God. Dear friends, sometimes the Lord can answer prayers like that and he gives us affliction and he gives us trouble and he gives us those things that shall stir us up and shall make us then cry with more urgency that the Lord would make us diligent and then fat soul. Before we come to a close, it's just a couple of texts I bring before you as warnings that are given in this way as well. Going first with Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Regarding diligence, regarding carefulness and conscientiousness, our hearts, where the Lord begins his work and where is the warfare between Satan. How the Apostle exhorted Timothy and exhorts us each to uh, keep under our body lest we be a castaway and to watch the motions of the heart, the thoughts, the affections, that which is not seen by men, but to be diligent in that issue. These are the directions from the Word of God. Then we have, going on to Peter in his epistles, and he exhorts in the second epistle in chapter 1 and verse uh, 10, and he says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And so our election is known by our calling, and our diligence is that we might make that very sure, that it be clear to us whose we are and whom we serve, that it be clear to our families who see us in our downtimes and see us when the world sees us not, that it might be clear to those we work with and those in the church of God that these are the people of God. They are those that are called and separated unto Christ. The path to heaven is not a way of slovenliness, sluggardly, carelessness, desiring, but that is all. No. The same as it is in natural things, so it is to fight the good fight of faith, to labour, to enter into rest, to pursue that narrow way, Run the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I feel with myself the many reasons why 
I do not have that fruitfulness, that fatness and that blessing is because I've gone down the track of slovenliness, not being careful, not being diligent or thinking, well, maybe it's been such a labour, such an effort, such a burden and we drop our guard and maybe even an abuse of grace thinking, well, if I am the Lord's, the Lord will bless me and the Lord will favour me in spite of all what I'm doing. And it is true, the Lord knows how to bring his people back, but he'll bring them back and he'll bring them to be diligent souls, seeking souls, praying souls, watching souls, souls that are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. May you be encouraged, however low, despondent, far off we may be, the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and the provision in him is sufficient to keep a soul, to feed a soul, to strengthen a soul, to restore even a fallen David to the joy of God's salvation. And may we heed those words that are set before us and set before us in our text with such a, a simple yet vivid illustration. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Why? Because of their diligence? Are they to say to all of the others, to the people of God, look, all this fatness, all the blessing I've had because of all my goodness and my diligence? No, but because they sought it in the way God hath ordained and God has blessed them I being in the way that the Lord met with me is a blessed thing to be found in the ways of the Lord and in the way of our text. Or may we be encouraged this evening, may be chastened, may be corrected and may be stirred up. That would be a good thing for us. But may we truly be made a fat soul full of the goodness and blessings of the Lord. The Lord add his blessing. Amen.